turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them Welcome to a new series of the Marketing Millennials. Think of this as a micro-marketing class, and the guests are the professors. Today's class is taught by James Gregson, the Digital Creative Director at the one and only LEGO. Welcome, James. Thanks so much for having me, though I don't think I've ever been called professor, but we'll roll with it. <laughs> I think the best professors are the people who d- do the things in real life, so I I'm excited to get dig into this, but I want to start off like, tell us about your marketing journey, how you got into marketing. How did you end up at Lego? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I probably had a pretty non-traditional journey. I would agree with you that, yeah, the, the best professors we all had were the ones that actually did what, what they were teaching. And that isn't always the case. Listen, I wasn't an academic in any way, shape or form. I hated academics. I didn't get an A until I think I went to college and that was in an art class. Uh, um, I I was a computer animation major with a minor in painting, and I had no expectation of doing either of those after college, but I did want to work. Um, I actually was much more eager to work than I was going to college, but long story short, you know, I, I got internships because of the college I went to. It was very communications focused. I ended up weaseling my way into a, a, a communications internship and that sort of got me at the very earliest stages involved in influencer marketing, which was blogger relations way back then. I'm going to date myself, right? I'm working with a PR agency, understanding the potential influence and potential, you know, external reach for some something like a blog. So I worked in the PR industry for a while, got really tired of that after about you know, seven, eight years in that industry in New York City decided it was going to be a great idea to open up my own sort of consultancy doing everything digital. And then about two months later, the subprime mortgage crisis hit. But I I made it through. I sort of started, held my own business for about five years doing everything from logo development, uh, logo design, website development, social community management, social media advertising, SEO, SEM, all sorts of stuff. Anything that sort of I could do or I had the understanding of who I needed to bring in to do it on behalf of a client. And through that process, I did everything from have my own sort of retainer-based clients to working with consultants uh, or working with with agents with agencies as a consultant, but then also white labeling my services to smaller agencies, um, right? Smaller agencies that maybe didn't have a dedicated design resource or didn't have a dedicated social media department. I was that to Lego's former PR agency based in San Francisco. And I worked with them on a handful of clients, then got involved in Lego. And that transitioned into an opportunity at Lego that for, I think, obvious reasons, I couldn't turn down. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I want to dig into this like social media game. And I want to start off with what are the fundamentals of social media marketing that haven't changed? Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think 
We tend to, as marketers generally, you know, focus on the new shiny thing, right? Whether that's TikTok or whether that's a new content format or whether that's a, a live format on a new platform, whatever it is, I think there's, there's an unfortunate muscle memory that as a marketer, we sort of run after the shiny new objects. I constantly talk about, you know, the fundamentals of marketing and certainly the fundamentals of social media shouldn't change and haven't changed regardless of what's happened to organic reach on social and what's happening with, you know, audiences on different platforms. You know, at the end of the day, the unique element to certainly social or uh, is being data-driven, right? It, we have such immediate access to real-time data that that should inform everything that you do and everything that you create. And there's so much information out there from simple listening exercises to audience analysis that you should have a really good idea of what you're doing before you do it. And if even if you don't, you should know almost immediately whether what you've done and what you put out there is performing well or not. Right. So when I talk about the fundamentals, it's about being sort of data driven and, and making data driven creative decisions, um, which is hard for a traditional creative. I want to dig into that a little bit more. Like yeah. what is like a data driven decision? Like what are the key points you're looking at before you're making that decision? And what are you listening for? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, that's uh, a very general topic. I think because there's so much social data and there's, you know, depending on who you are and, and how good you are as a salesperson, right? You can sell anything as good in most, in almost all cases, right? If you're a media agency, you can say that the cost per click was low based on this benchmark for this reason. I think us as marketers and certainly us as uh, a creative department, I'm laser focused on my team having a strong understanding, even at a very basic level, what good looks like, right? And as I said, it's very easy to water down at the definition of what good looks like. But from a social standpoint, right, very basically engagement rate, you know, organic engagement rate and organic reach right across the major channels is a very simple benchmark of success. You know, you could look at view through rate on, on platforms like YouTube and all those sort of things, but it's a lot easier to simplify creative performance marketing when you only look at a few data points, right? And I know that's, I'm probably massively simplifying it because there's so many variables that impact that, right? You, you, you know, a piece of content that resonates to a high affinity audience on a Lego social channel is going to have a much higher engagement rate than a piece of content on Lego social channel that reaches, that is, has been created to reach a low affinity audience, right? And, and those sort of metrics need to be considered, but at the end of the day, you can end up, as I said, watering down what, what good performance looks like. It's just incredibly important from my perspective to have a very simplified view of it. So you can quickly at a high level analyze what good and bad looks like. That's awesome. I've always been interested in this question is because data is a very thing of like past performance, right? And things that are happening in the past, like how do you think of like the next thing that you might not have enough data in, but you have to take like a creative swing basically and say like, I'm going to try this. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I want to take a swing and there's no data to support this swing. Listen, I think there's uh, we have some a pretty strong mentality of um, being brave and being curious, right? Those are some pretty strong fundamentals that we have as creatives at Lego that 
you know, speaks to that, right? You have, you can't be afraid to test and learn. There's nothing more that I get upset with than when we test something out, but we don't distill what that learning is and we do it again, right? You have to be laser focused uh, before you're testing, right? It's so easy to say, oh, we're testing and learning something. That's just an excuse to be lazy from my perspective, unless you are distilling and sharing out that learning quickly and not replicating that same thing. Now, obviously, there's you may determine that you need three certain posts across this format to determine, to give you enough of a data set to determine what uh, whether this has worked or not. But I think you also need to be laser clear on what the learning, what you're trying to figure out and um, whether it worked or not. So I think, again, going back to like the fundamentals, we as marketers tend to trust our gut or go with our gut, which I think there's a lot more to being data-driven and insight-driven than trusting your gut. I think trusting your gut is potentially lazy and you should have a stronger data-driven or insight that defines why you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. I think the way you said it is, I love how, how you said that you can take swings, but if you don't if you take the swing and have a learning from the swing, the, the, the swing is basically pointless. It's yeah, like, strike out a bunch. And if you don't have something that says, okay, we took this swing and X happened and this is our learning from it. And I feel like every swing you take, there is a learning, whether mm-hmm. it was a failure or like you learned that it doesn't resonate with your audience or you learn something that actually does resonate with your audience from that learning that you might have not thought of. I love that because experimenting is key to marketing, I think. But I, I agree, data-driven approach is way a better way to like look at it. I, I want to go into the the social listening part of it too. Like, Let what me, are I, like, I just want to hit on one thing. So, totally agree. It's it's funny now. I'm you know, so the social media department, like I was gone through a little bit of a journey, right? So previously, we were this end to end department where. You know, a lot of like-minded people doing a lot of like-minded things, right? So these weren't ever, not maybe contentious discussions, but they, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, we, you know, we'll, we'll do this. And yeah, that makes sense. And we'll try that. I think now being part of a, a, a broader creative, uh, internal creative team, it's very interesting to, you know, be part of a, a more traditional creative unit where they're much more far more focused on the creative strategy and the insight that leads to good creative, whereas us so digital creatives who are far closer to the real-time data are far more interested of, sure, you know, we'll give it a whirl and see see what the data tells us kind of thing. It, it's been a fascinating journey to go through that experience. It's been really interesting to see how you combine sort of the skill sets, the competencies of a traditional creative that are very focused on strategy and insight that informs, you know, a, a big idea versus sort of a digital creative who is much more focused on the performance and sort of the audience level insights and that informing sort of more of a long-term digital content experience. That's been a really interesting journey just sort of to hopefully marry those two, those two skill sets so that we have you know, you know, a world-class creative department. Going to the, the, the thing, there's a bunch of like-minded people doing everything. Mm. How do you avoid doing, making decisions that get 
kind of watered down because of all mm-hmm. these like like-minded people. Because it's a, I, it ha- I bet it happens a lot if you're a bunch of people uh, in a room together. And yeah, yeah, it's tough. It, it, it is tough. You know, I think. Listen, there's certainly a train of thought that you have to do certainly within the social space, right? Is do something and ask questions later, right? I think we sort of talked about this a little bit before the session. You know, the goal for us and my team is to ensure, right? Everyone from a social standpoint, everyone wants that, you know, ocean spray TikTok moment or that Oreo Super Bowl moment, right? Every brand, every marketer wants to go viral, whether I can't stand it, but that is, that is the nature of the beast, right? I think that's an unrealistic strategy and an unrealistic, uh, unattainable thing, but it's about having the processes in place that enable agility, quick creative production and publishing so that those opportunities, if they arise, don't get missed. That's the the reality of what I believe sort of world-class social looks like. I think taking it a little bit more broadly, watering down ideas is a reality at a big business, right? With a lot of opinions, you know, everyone, certainly when you look at creative, right? Creative, even if you're a world-class marketer, you grasp onto the creative because it's a thing you can see. It's the thing that's going to help you sell your product. But there's no silver bullet for, you know, not watering down ideas outside of, you know, there's two trains of thoughts. You either bring your stakeholders along the entire journey so that they're buying in and, you know, truly drinking the creative Kool-Aid throughout the entire process, or you reduce the number of the number of stakeholders to the minimal number as possible uh, to reduce those conflicting opinions, you know, move things forward. I saw a great sort of very conceptual three slide thing that a creative agency put forward before critiques, right? Because it's so easy to be a creative critique. It's very easy to, to criticize creative, even if you're, you know, not trained creative. At the end of the day, so this slide said, first slide was, what do you like? The second side slide was a picture of a strawberry and a picture of a worm. The third slide was a picture of a fish. Underneath it, it read your audience, right? The idea of being, right? It's very easy to give a subjective opinion, but you aren't always the audience, right? And it's tough for a marketer who's so close to the thing to give a an opinion that isn't based on their personal preference. I totally love that. I actually it reminds me of a quote by Matthew Kobach. Um, he quote he said something like, "Your content is not for you; it's for your audience. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not for you. Like yeah, and your end audience. That's who you're really creating content and." for you're not creating it for yourself so you should be empathetic to sit and say like would i consume this um or or would i find this entertaining but i don't think at the end of the day like you're not creating it for yourself you're like creating it for this big audience i love that the fish and the apple and it's just such a great metaphor for it but i want to also this is a topic because lego is amazing at this and I just am mind blown out. Like you guys stay ahead of the curve with creativity on your social channel. And you, in every single time you do it, you come up with like a new creative idea that nobody thought of. Like, how does that happen? Like, where do these ideas come from? How do you stay creative? I mean, I think, listen, the, I can't take any of that credit to be quite frank. 
I can certainly take it from, you know, some of the, the social assets that, that we've been responsible for pushing out, you know, at the very core, right, there were some brilliant people way before my time that created the Lego brand, right, and the Lego brick that has, you know, stood the test of time. And, you know, in this day of, you know, screen time and just over digitization of the world, right, the, the physical brick, this thing is the ideal physical expression of creativity, right? So from a shopper, what better product to for your kids to engage with, right? Obviously, we've evolved that play experience and that product experience to not just be focused on kids, but also, you know, looking at different audiences and adult audiences, you know, with our sort of our higher price point products. I definitely want to give credit to the, the product marketing team who, you know, continually push the envelope with what, partnerships they come up with and the products they put out that makes our job creatively way easier. But yeah, I think, you know, we have a pretty broad canvas for opportunities when we look at creative social creative opportunities specifically. I think for us, it's definitely a less is more approach. It's definitely, you know, we have a lot more conversations about what we shouldn't do versus what we should do. And I think that speaks to, you know, looking at quality over quantity right? Less is more, whatever analogy you want to go for. So I think the desire and excitement around real-time marketing, right, hasn't evolved. That's still a sort of a, a fundamental to social. And, you know, Lego is such a broadly consumed product. There are a lot of opportunities for us to lean into those opportunities, lean into those moments or those trends. We are trying to look for those celebratory moments that we know without a shadow of a doubt are going to be big wins. And, you know, you know, the litmus test to some extent is that we like to talk about is like, would you share that on your social page? Right. Or are we just being, you know, a little bit too in your face and trying to jump on a trend that maybe doesn't make sense. So there's a lot of variables that, that go into it. I will say that it's a healthy discussion, <laughs> an ongoing one. The one thing that I love about Lego is I think what they do is they think like a media company that sells a product instead mm -hmm. of a product that creates media, yeah. which is, I think, the reason why Lego sells so much Legos. Like, just thinking about Lego in general, like all the social channels, what you put out there to inspire people, Lego movies that mm -hmm. are like probably selling billions of dollars of Legos, all the cool like partnerships you do with other things. This is like all media that i mean creation that is selling a product if you you're not just saying like here's legos here's what you could do with it you're thinking like creating an imaginary world that lego could create which is i think is so awesome i just want to bring that point up i just think like a lot of companies should think like a media company first when selling a product i i think that's definitely fair i think listen there i used to remember way back when in my agency days i think i was running a few customer service twitter handles with my tiny little agency team on behalf of a brand and i remember sitting in the audience listening to like and this was way back when when JetBlue shared that you know they have like a team of 30 people that are dedicated to customer service on twitter and i remember looking at my team of like three people being like ha, ha, ha. 30 people that would be hilarious um so but my point being that you know listen we're extremely lucky you know working for a brand like lego that has such a strong brand equity but i also think you know there's two components to what has made us successful one you know being a purpose-driven brand 
is obviously a hot commodity at the moment and a very hot topic given the sociopolitical environment that we're all dealing with. But even before that, right, you know, there is no better purpose than providing a product that encourages endless creativity and sort of moves you away from that, that maybe that digital experience, um, you know, the, the core, the physical product is something that I think will continue to resonate with people as creativity is a thing that people desire. Right. I think also when you look at it from a, from a brand experience and you sort of alluded to this, alluded to this, like we, we absolutely have evolved and pivoted outside of just being the brick. You know, when we look to, you know, brands like, you know, Apple or Nike that have a true beginning to end brand experience, right? Everything from opening, you know, the Apple credit card to walking into a retail store to unboxing the new iPhone, like that is a high end branded experience at every turn, right? And I think that's how we are looking at from a, from a brand standpoint, we want that similar sort of Lego brand experience at every Lego touchpoint, digital and physical. That is key. I think brand is every touchpoint that you have. Mm-hmm. I want to go into this topic of like, how do you build out a best-in-class social team? Like what, what elements does it take to build a best-in-class social team? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. You know, I think video is, is a critical component, right? So we actually have dedicated video editors on our team because video is such a critical component to social across the board. You know, I think it, it's also ensuring that you've got people that to some extent maybe are a little woke to trends, right? You, you need um, that diversity in thinking, definitely, right? And those people that are really interested in getting into, you know, niche communities and micro trends and understanding what could be an opportunity. Because for the most sense, right, the brand marketers, those that, you know, mostly brief us on what we, what they want us to do, they're laser focused on the product, right? And, and selling the product. And, you know, I think the other flip side of that is we're looking at that, you know, bottom up approach of identifying those smaller niche opportunities, more niche opportunities that aren't going to be considered by a traditional brand marketer as a way to, you know, build up that brand love and that brand equity. So yeah, someone that, that is very conscious of social trends and the, the niche trends within those platforms across all platforms, right? And then another component is a data analyst speaking to what I talked about earlier, right? Being data-driven is so important. Having someone that can help tell a holistic story and a asset-by-asset level story is really, really helpful. It just ensures that we're not recreating the same problem, you know, or we're learning from previous mistakes or we're leaning into opportunities that have performed really well. Breaking it down is video, data, and someone who's ahead of the trends, which brings me to a, a topic that I'm interested because in, in big companies and small companies, it's easier to do this, but how far do you plan out content versus the like staying ahead of trends in to go in there? Because like social is a one place where you have to capitalize on a trend. Otherwise it, it goes, but also you have to have some content planned out like a way ahead of time. So I'm interested in that. 
Yeah. So, you know, we are a manufacturing business at heart. We are a supply chain business, you know, so that really does impact, you know, our, our sort of our marketing and planning operations, right? So much so that there are brand marketers that were working on 2022 right now. And last time I checked, it's still 2020, um, <laughs> right? They, they are looking at those sort of uh, communication strategies and what those products are going to be and how they're going to bring those to market for 2022, which from a social standpoint, right, is somewhat laughable because by 2022, who knows if TikTok will be around? Who knows if YouTube will still exist? What does Facebook look like? It's very difficult to be considerate of that. But, you know, that's the business. We can't change the way that that sort of level of planning. But to your point, yes, there are components to our marketing that is very planned out. But as I said, we want to make sure that we have processes in place that we can react and have the resources to react to real-time trends because we know that's a massive component and a a successful strategy for us to, to maintain that level of brand awareness that we want to have. Which um, social channels would you recommend people double down on right now? And which social channels would you recommend people that might you think might go away in the next couple of years? Oh, man. So the non-answer to that question is it's going to greatly depend on what category you're in, the size of the, your, the size of your brand, the size of your budget, all those sort of pieces. You know, I think anecdotally, right, I think Facebook is obviously in a transitional place right now. You know, I I think they've got a lot of growing (laughs) to go internally, not from an audience standpoint, but I think they've got a a lot of growing to go. Maybe, you know, the outcome of the election supports that. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But I think Facebook is in a little bit of, should be in a little bit of a transitional phase. At the end of the day, they still got the scale of an audience that is hard to ignore. I think the same goes for Instagram, but again, it, it really depends you know, you can't ignore platforms like TikTok. Although, you know, I always use this example of I've consumed hours and upon hours of content on TikTok, and I've maybe come across two, literally two pieces of brand content that wasn't an ad, right? So that's, a, I'm saying like a, a channel, Lego doesn't have a channel on TikTok, but you know, I had just haven't come across that brand experience on TikTok. My point being that, you know, and I know there are brands that are on there. They're not hitting my feed, so to speak. And I'm certainly not seeking them out as you know, normal consumers do not seek out brands on these social platforms. It's it's all about what the algorithm delivers to them. So you yeah, know what's actually very just sorry to cut yeah. you off, but yep. for the TikTok side, you make a good point because one, I think I see more brands that are on the side of content creators showing off their brand. Cause I did see Lego had a, and I don't even know if this was a partnership or not, but because Lego partners with everybody, but I think the it was a friend. DJ. Oh no, it was a DJ who in his house, you, he had like the little, he opened up a wall and there was Legos yeah. DJing. I think it was, uh, I forgot who exactly it was. But I think it was Zed. Zed. It is Zed. I think yeah. it is Zed, yeah. Yeah, but it was just, that was such a, like, a natural piece of content that Lego got, like, show for. But I think those are the type of moments where brands have, like, the Ocean Spray moment. Like, nobody yes. would have known that. But you don't see Ocean Spray 
content on there. I just so want to throw that out. Yeah, no, I, I, but I think it's fair, right? Because it, you know, we talk about TikTok all the time. I right? hear about it all the time, and you know, without a doubt, like as a content creator and as an influencer, right? The the organic reach and you know of a TikTok video is back to the old good old days of Facebook, right? But I still haven't. And yes, I know there are success stories of brands who have created content content outside of influencer, outside of the influencer and creator space on TikTok. But my point being is it's got a long way to go before I, as a potential CMO of a brand, will say, let's invest in creating video content for TikTok. It's still a very much an influencer first platform, uh, a fascinating platform. You know, I think the same thing goes for YouTube. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see how post-COVID, the impact of what COVID has done for content consumption as a whole, right? Pre-COVID, I was all excited about podcasts and podcasts making a, you know, a, a rise back from maybe somewhat of the dead, not knocking your podcast potentially at all, or other <laughs> podcast creators out there. But, you know, 10, 15 years, years ago, we were talking about podcasts and they kind of disappeared and then they've made this massive resurgence. And then I know, you know, again, anecdotally, my co- commute has gone from two hours and change a day to zero, right? And I listened to two hours and change worth of podcasts a day. And I've listened to maybe three podcasts since I've been you know, working from home since March. So I think, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how and like things like my YouTube consumption has gone skyrocketed since working from home. So I'm interested to see how the evolution of one's sort of routine post-COVID will then sort of have an impact on one's content consumption across social. Yeah, that's super interesting to think about. I think the po- good thing about, I think, a podcast is that the the distribution of it could go on other channels. So, for example, like I could take this podcast and put it on LinkedIn and I could put it on YouTube and I can put it on the channels that have high consumption rates, but obviously on platform and might not perform as good as it was when people are were commuting every day. Going into a different subject a little bit, I want to hear like your thoughts on organic versus paid social. Yeah, good question. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I was just thinking about that that question you previously um, asked me about what does an ideal social team look like. Paid should be a part of that uh, that ideal social team, right? A paid strategist and even a, a paid executional element uh, to that team, you know, in an ideal setup. It is that beginning to end because you need to be, as I alluded to, you, know, you need to be able to act fast. And a world-class sort of social setup has to be very considerate of paid. And so much so it's siloed separate departments, right? There's the media department or the media agency, and then there's the, the creative department. And those two, you know, yes, probably have an interaction, but they're never one in the same team. And I think as we evolve into a much more heavily paid space or we paid social becomes table stakes to everything that everyone does. Um, and maybe even more of the majority of what people do across social over organic, those sort of two worlds are going to need to collide um, and become one to have sort of a, a world-class setup. You know, I think it's hard coming from a brand like Lego that has a world appeal to some, you know, to, to, to uh, some extent, so we can really lean into organic social content uh, a lot of the times, you know, but not all our brands 
all brands are created equal. And I think some brands in some cases should lean into paid only potentially to ensure they're getting the, the best ROI. You know, so I think it, it's progressively becoming more and more and more important. But it's, it's super interesting, right? And I always talk about this because I think, you know, we always look at what competitors are doing and we're always, I'm always sort of looking for inspiration. And it doesn't take, a, a, you know, an expert to go look at Nike's Facebook page and see that their, their last organic Facebook post was, I think, in February of 2018. I also do believe that some of the best paid ads look like organic social, right? Like, I think like the, the blend of like the feeling that it should fit in your feed and ad. Mm. And I think a lot of that's why I think the marrying of those two paid and organic need to be more together. Cause I think that like, especially in social, like nobody goes to social media to say like, Hey, I want to go look at an ad. Like they go in to be entertained. They go to be educated. They go to be informed. They go to be inspired. They never go and say, Hey, I'm going to Facebook today to buy a product like, or I'm going to like LinkedIn today to buy, or I'm going to TikTok today to buy a product. And this goes way, way back to the, the fundamentals point of view. Right. And I think, you know, I, I saw a tweet the other day that was really relevant where, you know, content is King, right. That fundamental has not changed. I completely agree with you. If it feels like an ad, it's not going to be consumed in the same way as it feels like a good piece of content, right? But then an additional add to that tweet was if content is king, then context is queen. I think that was a really nice way of distilling, I think, a, a sort of an evolution or a majority to that that original quote, a quote of content is um, is king. I think it's, again, it speaks to that fundamentals and I completely agree to you. I think there's a, there's a quote from the CMO at Burger King that I, often share about, right? If it, if it looks like an ad, feels like an ad, then it probably is an ad and your audience is going to treat it like an ad. Right? That's amazing. It, yeah. Right. But if it feels like a good piece of content, the results are going to be way different. I want to wrap this up a little bit, but I want to nail down, like, what are your three points that you would give someone starting out in social? Yeah. Oh, good one. Um, okay. So three points to someone starting out on social. I think as social has evolved and become so much more of a, a bigger component to the marketing mix, I think social specialists have quickly evolved. And by that, I mean, you're a social strategist or you're a social paid expert or you're a social creative. I think that's the detriment to the potential detriment to an individual, right? I think while I definitely would suggest you you get um, experience across all elements of social, right? Create creative, paid, strategy, engagement, copywriting, all those components, because those are all critical, successful components to a, you know a strong social presence. And you know, so often now we we see social media specialists that have a real focus on things. And while they, listen, there's definitely for good reason. Maybe you are you know an analytic wizard and you really want to lean into that. You know, I've seen the most success with people who have a good understanding across all elements of social, even if that's not maybe the requirement of their job. Awesome. And one last question I want to do is, what is your favorite social channel? 
Okay, my favorite social channel. So I'm TikTok obsessed for sure. There is some guy, it's unbranded. There is some guy, I'm guessing it's in Dallas. It looks like Dallas, who goes after, who quickly interviews on TikTok people in fancy cars. And I love that. (laughs) And ask them one question, right? What is their job? And, you know, some of the answers, there's some of the answers are fantastic, right? You know, I'm a drug dealer or, you know, I'm a bank robber, you know, which I applaud those people for being that quick and that snarky. But I think it's just, it's just, a, it speaks to a fascinating level of insight, right? That everyone wants to know what that person does who's driving a big fancy car that they're, you know, and inevitably jealous of, I think. So I think that's a fantastic, you know, creative insight or creatively positioned insight that has become, you know, a great piece of content, right? You've got to look at other great things like the, the you know, the pneumatic press <laughs> uh, guy on YouTube who just presses things with a, you know, a hydraulic press or whatever it is. All those sort of things I think are fascinating. I think it, it maybe another one I look at the fast food category as a whole is super uh, inspiring, right? They're, they're pretty edgy for, for sure. They do some really, really creative stuff. And then I'd say something like Hot Ones is another, the complex YouTube channel. I think they're a perfect example that took a traditional format in a celebrity interview and spun it on its head in a brand new format that makes it feel like a completely different thing. But that is just an interview show, right? So I think that's that to me is what creatively inspires me because it's hard to come up with a with a new idea because so many ideas have been done but it's very much about you know how can you put your own spin on it one last thing because i want to do this that i just thought of this right now is i want to give you a social channel and i want you to see what brand comes first to mind when i say besides lego like because i know Lego. (laughs) so instagram pantone youtube Ooh, uh, James Corden and The Tonight Show. Twitter. Wendy's. LinkedIn. Ooh, I've, so I'm all over LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn, but there's no brand to me that I'm like, ooh, I need to follow them on LinkedIn. So I, I defer the answer to that. That's okay. If that's, yeah. if nobody's doing it well, um, TikTok. So I'm a sneakerhead. So It's not necessarily a brand, but Sneakers, the blog or the website, um, has a nice sort of presence on TikTok. I enjoy their content. Cool. That was just the, I just wanted to bring that out. That's a good idea. You should do that. (laughs) It works. (laughs) And lastly, I just want to leave it to where people could find you, um, where they follow you, um, anything you want to say to the audience. I, no, I appreciate it. Well, thanks. First of all, thanks. Thanks for the time. I appreciate the, the conversation. I could talk about this sort of stuff all day. Um, and yeah, for, for everyone that's listening in, um, you can reach out to me on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn at JLW Greg. And yeah, feel free to reach out to me, uh, ask any questions and uh, follow along. And for everybody listening, go check out Lego channels because they are absolutely killing social media right now. Well, thank you for being on the show and I'm super stoked. I think people are going to get some value out of this. Awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it.